0: You know, you're with them essentially, you know, six to seven months out of the year and almost daily.
1: And then the season's over. We're going to go out on the field. We're going to score as many goals as we can. We're going to have fun.
2: Every year, coaches at all levels welcome a group of student athletes into their programs. And every year, these coaches say goodbye to a group of student athletes leaving their programs. Rinse and repeat. Coaches will do this hundreds, maybe thousands of times in their career. While managing all kinds of elements to form a successful team is an important part of a coach's job, another interrelated, possibly more important part, is the off-court, off-field, human relationships coaches form with athletes. Important relationships. Relationships where words and actions have the possibility to forever scar or forever inspire. So what's it like to give so much to an athlete's development and experience in your program and then to have to say goodbye over and over? What's it like to shoulder the burden and the blessing of having a significant impact on a young adult's life? Today on the show, two coaches.
1: I'm Coach Patrick Walsh, the head football coach of Sarah High School. I'm Barbara Stevens,
0: I am the head women's basketball coach at Bentley University.
2: A high school football coach and a college basketball coach talk about their role and share the fulfillment and sadness that comes with watching athletes walk away. Before we fully get going, I think it's important to give a bit more background on our two featured coaches. As you heard, Patrick Walsh is the head coach at Unipero Serra, an all-boys Catholic high school in San Mateo, California. That's in NorCal. And in his nearly 20-year career at J. Serra, Walsh has cultivated one of the most successful high school football programs in the state having garnered 15 titles, including a state championship in 2017. He is the school's longest-tenured and winningest football coach, with 155 victories. Totaling up her stints at Clark University, UMass, and Bentley University, coach Barbara Stevens has been a coach for 44 years. In 2006, she was inducted into the Women's Basketball Hall of Fame, and in 2018, Stevens became just the fifth women's basketball coach to reach the 1,000-win milestone. Nearly 70 years of coaching between the two of them. Every season, every team is different. They'll tell you that. But there's at least one thing that stays the same.
0: The absolute most rewarding thing is to see them grow
1: and mature over the four or five years that we have them. I just think watching them grow into, from boys coming in as you know, awkward, gangly, <laughs> 13, 14-year-old boys, and then watching them turn into you know, young men, that's, that's the most rewarding thing.
2: They watch players grow up, watch them come into themselves in these really critical periods. For two, three, four, or five years, these coaches become a seminal figure in their players' lives. You can call it cheesy, but coaches are almost like a kind of cocoon maker. Jumping in somewhere down the line in the caterpillar to butterfly, student-athlete to real adult metamorphosis. And this process, this role they step into, might happen like clockwork, again and again. But it's not something they ever take for granted.
1: Truly seeing these boys develop, and, you know, hopefully turn them out into being good members of society and going off to college, whether they play football or not, is, it's really not. Some of the most rewarding relationships that I have are kids that never played a down of football after Sarah High
2: School. Mm-hmm.
1: So, and that's the, you know, as you know, with all the percentages and most of these kids will not be playing football after high school. So I think it's my job and my duty and, and it is as a, as a community of Sarah is to produce the leaders and and good young men of the next generation. That's what gives me the most satisfaction. They all, all freshmen come in, um,
0: whether they want to show it or not, with a certain degree of um, anxiety, if you will, fear, if you will, of the unknown. Um, They are starting out on a high note with starting their college career. They're very excited about it, but yet there are certainly challenges that lay ahead and they, um, you know, they're, they're, they find things out, you know, probably every minute that they hadn't known before. So, you know, you're going through that with them. Um, They have multitude of questions, obviously there, you know, every day there's something new that Mm -hmm. they need to know more about and they need assistance with. And the best part of seeing them come in as wide-eyed freshmen is to then, after four or five years, see them leave with such a degree of confidence that they've gained um, a new outlook, a new perspective of the world and of themselves, Um, you know, ready. They're ready for the next thing that they're going to do, be it enter into the business world or, you know, grad school or whatever it is that they're doing. And they're ready there it it's time. So over the four years, the transition phase goes from, you know, I have no idea what I'm going to do to I have a much better idea of what I want to do and what I'm going to do.
2: So in this chunk of time, coaches can become a lot to their players. I think I've probably used this term before on the podcast, but a few years back, I went to a symposium dedicated to encouraging female athletes to get into coaching. And one of the presentations held there was called something like The Many Hats of Coaching. And it went into how coaches wear a travel agent hat, a therapist hat, a strategist hat, and for many, whether they realize it or not, the mentor hat.
0: You are such an important part of their lives. Um, You know, the relationships may may vary between players, but at the same time, you know, that it's such an important phase that they are going through um, during this 18 to 22-year-old uh, time period, and they need all kinds of things during this time, and I think you as a college athlete can relate to that, but they, uh, they need you not only to be their coach, but they need you to be there for them in time of need that has to do with things many many things probably more things out
1: outside of the basketball court there's guys you know for better or for worse that i've coached you know 18 19 years ago that tell stories of things that i said when i was a 26 year old coach 27 year old coach and i didn't know what the heck i was doing back then i still don't now i'll be honest with you but uh looking back and and just understanding the power of words that we have. Our words are so powerful, whether we're young coaches or you know have 20, 30 years of experiences, our words matter and, and they, they, they can hang, they can stick <laughs> forever for a lifetime. So I think coaches need to understand as we're developing people and building relationships with the people that we coach that you know, our words are weapons and weapons can be used positively and negatively.
2: When you end up being all of these things as a leader of a group, watching the people who've received more than a bit of yourself, who make up that group, leave every single year, that can take its toll.
1: You know, I, it's, that's something that I've wrestled
0: with. It's been extremely difficult to say goodbye to our graduating seniors.
2: And the exact difficulty of those goodbyes can sometimes sneak up on you. Coaches and players in this slow but intense way become ingrained in the fabric of each other's lives for the time period an athlete is in a program.
0: You know, you're with them essentially, you know, six to seven months out of the year
1: and almost daily. If we start working out in January and our season hopefully ends in December, that's 11 months Mm of time and chapel services and team dinners and good calls, bad calls, injuries, no injuries, conversations with the parents, you know, film sessions. The hours are just mind boggling how many hours you spend with that person. And then the season's over.
2: This is something we have to lay out here. A coach player goodbye is a pretty unique one. For years, coaches managed you and your teammates and put out fires and probably lost sleep and probably broke their face, beaming with pride at times, all the emotions from all the hats. You were a part of this entity with them. And then that end-of-season banquet finishes, and I'd say anywhere between 70 to 90-plus percent of the player-coach relationship is severed. Boom. Just like that. And it has to be like that for a lot of reasons. But it's weird. It's not like a parent goodbye or a boss goodbye or a teammate goodbye.
1: And it goes from an almost all or nothing feeling. So, you know, your, your transition concept here and talking about it, analyzing, I think it's very healthy because as a coach, I've struggled with it. I'm not going to lie to you because I, I, as much as I love the kids and as much as I love giving everything to them during that finite amount of time they leave and then a new group comes in
2: right
1: so I can't continue to give the amount of time I gave to the 2019 team let's say that I have to give to the 2020 team as a coach or coaching staff so the best we can do is put our arms around them kind of love them and my philosophy has always been you know they're kind of the eagle pushing them off a cliff thing hopefully we've armed these these young men with what they need to be spiritual warriors after football, um, whether that's in college as a football player or not, and just let the Eagles fly. I mean, that's, um, and then hopefully they know that during that time together, we as the staff and me as the head coach gave them everything we could in our hearts that hopefully lasts a lifetime. Mm -hmm. That's the way I've dealt with it. I don't know if it's right or wrong, but I also feel a, a strong sense of loss you know, because I do, we do love each other. We really do. In our program, we use that word quite a bit. And, you know, when you love someone, you want to be with them forever. But in our line of work, the next group is coming and people grow up and they're mature and the Eagles got to fly and go do something else in their life.
2: Mm-hmm. And yeah, and a bit of the way you're describing it, it really just comes down to this delegation or this rationing of a finite resource, which is your time and energy as a coach. Yeah. And you know, yeah, I mean obviously this is there's a range of this, but you have those coaches that are texting you once every couple of days you know wanting to know about your your injury rehabilitation yeah. or come into the office so we can talk about this or whatever and then it, it can be pretty black and white that flip of the switch where it's like now coach just isn't texting you.
1: Yeah, you're
2: right. And it's not a personal thing. It's just yeah, we have a new group coming in and people are, there's holes to be filled and like, you know, reconfiguration sports wise right. to be happening.
1: Yeah, and if I can flip the perspective here back to an athlete as you are and were and I am or was, <laughs> um, <laughs> I remember feeling it on that side, too. And just like, damn, you know, I love that coach so much. I, I had the opportunity to play for one of the best coaches ever. And that's Bob Lattiser, head coach at De La Salle, who... Mm-hmm won almost 400 games or something crazy just he's the best coach in California statistically and mentorship wise and all that stuff he's he's number one and I had the great fortune of playing for him for four years and I remember thinking you know when I moved off to college just how sad I was that that man couldn't be in my life anymore Mm -hmm. as part of growing up as as an athlete coaches are going to move on too and it would be selfish of me to expect that I could get the same amount of energy and time from him you know, when I'm 20, 21, 22 year old, you know, young man, when he's still working with high school kids. So it's not an easy thing. I guess it's not an easy thing growing up. Yeah. <laughs> and realizing that people come and go out of your lives is, is, is a difficult thing to deal with uh, as a human and as an as a athlete.
2: And for high school, at least, I'll, I'll say for a lot of kids. Graduating is the first big transition moment where you're really experiencing that idea en masse of people come and go from your life. So relationships built up, relationships taken down.
0: Um you know, the normal goodbye is difficult enough. Um this year is very, very different, as you know. Yes. You wanna you wanna talk about sudden goodbyes. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Coach Stevens won't get an end-of-season banquet with her team this year. She won't get to take her seniors out to lunch like she usually likes to do. This is one of a thousand, a million ways the spread of COVID-19 has disrupted life as we know it. And I do hope to do a Retirement by Pandemic episode to give a platform for these stories in athletics in the future when... We have some distance from this incredibly difficult and dark time. The goodbye, or lack thereof, winter and spring athletes and coaches this year were forced to face is as unusual of one as you could imagine. But it speaks to this greater idea. Some goodbyes are, of course, harder than others, Have you had any particularly hard goodbye experiences? You don't have to name names, but any particular hard goodbye experiences you wouldn't mind sharing during your tenure?
0: We won the Division II National Championship in 2014. We had an undefeated season, uh, won the National Championship, and, you know, it was, well, I can say, I mean, it was the best season that I've ever been a part of. The best team that I've ever coached in that regard. Uh, all of them, all of my teams have been so special. This one, obviously, for for obvious reasons. Um, you know, we had we had quite the run, and uh, they were just a special group of young women who all came together and um, you know and won a national championship. So at our banquet that year in two thousand fourteen. Um, it was, it was as emotional a banquet as I have ever been a part of. So you know they they were just so special, but more so personality wise, they were just a group of awesome young women, awesome, and such a such a pleasure to be around every day. They were self motivated. They understood what they were working so hard for. It, it was almost somewhat easy to coach them because they demanded so much of themselves and of each other. So, that group was probably the most difficult group to say goodbye to mm-hmm. because they had done something extremely special. Um, they sacrificed and, you know, fought so hard to get to the top of the
1: mountain.
2: I think both coaches and players know this, though.
1: So, there's been hollow seasons where we've had a lot of wins. And there's been, you know, spiritually enriching seasons where we went three and seven. Mm-hmm. Thankfully, we haven't gone three and seven very much. <laughs>
2: <laughs> a successful team, results wise, doesn't necessarily have the chemistry, infectious positive energy, and closeness as a collective, and vice versa. There are a few definitions of a quote good team. Just like there are a few definitions of a good player. And so it's not so straightforward to know all the times which goodbyes will hit deeper than others.
1: We did have one three and seven team where we we had some issues and it was the only losing season at Sarah and, you know, some kids got, you know, dismissed from the team and from the school. It was really really tough time, but The kids that hung around, we won the last game, beat a really good Archbishop Mitty team. This was in 2005, and we had the best banquet ever. Um, Just hugging and laughing, and a lot of those kids from that team we're still very close with. Uh, And then there's other teams that just, we struggled with, you know, buying into the harder concepts that we teach at Sarah, which is, you know, basically giving of oneself and love, brotherhood, humility, Things that mm-hmm. are hard for all of us to to achieve, not only individually, but as a team. And, you know, those banquets weren't so good. Um, individually, some of the saddest departures I've had are the kids that that I felt like I could have saved uh, that I didn't
2: mm.
1: or that the school didn't. You know, we lost to discipline or, you know, we, we had one, you know, one student that, was stealing laptops from his own teammates Uh and those are the relationships that I'll look back on and and ask how did I fail there you know a young man was was lost to the point where he felt the need to steal from his own teammates that just you know that can rip obviously rip a locker room apart on the flip side of that that happened to be one of the best teams I've ever coached Uh and they grew from that, learned from that, and, and it happened during our championship week. It was unbelievable. And they rallied and, and won the football game, and we actually won the state championship that year. So, wow. you know, I, yeah, I look back on a lot of those things, and when it comes to your direct question, I, I think of the kids we've lost hmm. more so than the kids we've than we won on that.
2: Here's another component of this coach conversation that needs to be laid out. Coaches can very easily be unlikable people. You know this. If you're an athlete, you've likely hated a coach at one point or another. Players can quit because of them, and then in 10 years talk to their therapist about that one thing a coach said to them. And then there are all the earfuls from parents that they get. But coaches sign up for all that. Comes with a job. Unlike coaches can very well just be Bad at their job, they can be in it for the wrong reasons. They can be bad communicators. But yeah, I'm gonna be a glass half full kind of gal here and say that's not most coaches. It can be really, really hard to see at times, but
1: we have feelings too. (laughs) You know, I I, (laughs) I think that they people just don't understand how much emotion. It goes into what we do.
0: You know, some of the decisions that we have to make are not easy for us. Like the toughest thing for me is to disappoint some of my players in terms of playing time. Um, that's that's really hard. Um, I, I understand that they've put in the work and I understand that they're there every day and committed and doing everything that everyone's doing but when it comes time for me to put players on the floor, there are those that, that don't get the time that they want. And that's really, that's really hard for me. Um, you know, so I think that that's a very, very small example, but the fact that we, you know, we understand things perhaps more than they think we do. We have more of a heart than maybe they think we do. Um, you know, I've done this for so long that, um, you know, I don't want to say that it's become any easier because it hasn't. But I, I think doing it as long as I have, I just, you know, I, I've, uh, I, I, I understand what I have to do. I mean, as a leader of the program, you have to make decisions and you have to, you have to do what's best for the entire team, um, e- even though it might mean that some are disappointed in the end
2: and for the high school coaches and honestly to some extent a lot of non-division one big time sport coaches assuming they're ones like these two who are trying to do their best beyond the x's and o's you got to put that emotion and time they give into perspective
1: we always say to parents if you want to have input in play calling or play time come to practice every single day sit on our Skype skype calls at nine o'clock at night you know when we're reviewing effort and enthusiasm and and you know ability <laughs> it's just and particularly in high school football 99 percent of us do not do it for the money mm-hmm. there's some states and some guys that have figured it out god bless them um where they're you know coaching for a living like the college and nfl guys but At the high school level, no, we're not doing this for the money. We're doing it for the love of kids, for the love of competition, and for the love of the game of football. So I think most people really don't understand, you know, as their kids are going through the programs, just the amount of sweat, equity, and and emotion that these coaches pour into their their kids.
2: But that's not to say they can't look back at their coaching with a critical eye. Their younger coaching self probably – could have used some tips to deal with the wide array of peaks and valleys ahead.
0: You know, when I first started out, there was, you know, I, I was um, directly out of college and I got an assistant coaching position at Clark University um, for $400. And I thought that I had struck it rich, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the following year, I was made head coach of the team. So I was barely a year, maybe two older than, you know, the seniors on my team. So that was a unique experience. And as I look back, um, it was learn as you go. Um, obviously that would never happen again um, in this day and age, but it it was a, a time for me to, it was trial and error. I, I made a lot of mistakes um, fortunately, none that I couldn't recover from. But you know, I think it was a special time for me, um, kind of wading through this, um, you know, and and having to deal with things that I'd never had the experience of dealing with. Um, so now, I guess I would I would look back and just say you know, again, the advice I give to my seniors, like, you know, savor it, take every moment, give it the best you can. I think I was focused on uh, winning basketball games back then, you know, recruiting hard, getting the best players and winning basketball games. And now I look at things so much differently that, yes, that's our ultimate goal. But You know, creating those strong relationships with my players and my staff and being around them and appreciating them as people and as students, and, you know, knowing that our job is so much more than just the X's and O's on the basketball court. Um, I think back then I was just, you know, I was so narrow focused that it was kind of scary um, how narrow focused I was, you know, very driven to succeed. I, I am still driven to succeed. That has never gone away, but I think I just appreciate things more. I look at things so much differently. Um, and, and I'm glad, I mean, I, I wouldn't change things. I wouldn't change how my education and my, um, my kind of diving into this profession, how, how it all happened but, um, you know, I, I'm one of the fortunate ones that has been able to stay in the same profession for 44 years. And, you know, people do say coaching is, is a difficult profession, which it is, believe me, it is. Um, but you know, I've been lucky. I've, I've been at three very good places. Um, I've called Bentley my home for 34 years and, um, you know, I've, I've been able to do the things that I've hoped that I could do throughout the course of my career.
1: You know, I was coaching. I had a lot of fear. I came from De La Salle, which never lost, really. We had an 11, 13-year win streak, 151 games in a row, which my senior year, we started that streak. And I just didn't think losing was an option. And in taking over another prominent Bay Area high school program, I was afraid. I would tell my 26-year-old self, don't be afraid, you're okay to fail. And then when, a, when an adult told me, you need to deal with people with a little bit more sugar and a little less salt. <laughs> <laughs> it was actually said to me when I was 26. <laughs> and it, it, it stung. And I'm like, yeah, whatever. You know, I'm doing what I do. I know what I'm doing. Mm. Um, but uh, I'm, I'm very grateful that that adult laid it on me that way because, you know, slowly over time, I I started to learn that, you know, it didn't hurt that I had two boys and myself, you know, one's a freshman one's a sixth grader. Now it's like, Uh okay, I, I can still be hard. I can still be, I can still, um, be demanding, but maybe I can do the same thing while building impeccable relationships with love at the center of it and a little bit more sugar and a little less salt. (laughs)
2: Maybe it's heat coming off of AstroTurf or snow falling. Like clockwork, that time comes around in a year, every year, for coaches, that signals when season's starting again. And again, in a seeming blink of an eye, those once wide-eyed, too-big-for-their-body group of kids officially become seniors. Knowing that you're never going to have The same sort of relationship with an athlete in just a few months. Knowing that your amount of time to say words these kids might pay attention to is dwindling, what do you say to them?
0: Now you understand this is your last year. You're only a high school senior
1: one time in your entire life. Buckle your seatbelt because it's going to go by very, very quickly enjoy each and every waking moment. Savor it, appreciate each other. And as hard and as difficult as as this is gonna be, have a strong commitment to each other. When you're 30, 40 years old, I can guarantee you with 100% certainty, you're going to look back on this experience, um, whether it's good or bad. So you might as well put your love and effort into mm-hmm. this. And And when you step away,
0: look at it and say, wow, I, I did everything I wanted to do, and I gave
1: everything I had. So you don't have any regrets when you're 30 or 40 or 50 telling your sons about your high school football experience.
2: And before you know it, that end-of-season banquet is here.
1: And then upon exit, you know, hopefully there are a lot of tears. And hopefully there is a there's sense of loss, because that means people aren't running for the, for the exits. They want they they had something that was so memorable that they put so much effort into mind body and spirit that they don't want it to end. They never wanted it to end, and that's okay. And I think it's it's our job as coaches, and my job now that I've been doing this for long enough, to know that that is my best gift I can give to a transitioning senior, is to create an environment that is so memorable and so loving, and and just so important to them in their life that they don't want it to end. Um, And if that happens, then I think we can all hug each other at the banquet and say, "What what a beautiful thing that we just did together.
2: You'll have to say goodbye. You won't feel special in individual meetings anymore, but you also won't get blindingly upset because of a decision they made in a game. All in all, much of the relationship will fall away. The calls and texts will die down. You might not see their face for years. But as with many of the people that meant something at some point in our life, but aren't around anymore like they once were, what that relationship was sometimes, and was supposed to be all the time, remains. In the case of a coach, that means they'll always be your cheerleader, always want you to do good, and then some.
0: I want to stay in their lives as much as they want me to be in their lives. So, um, you know, it's it's weddings, it's um, unfortunately funerals, it's, mm-hmm. you know, there's all kinds of things in between that I appreciate um, being a part
1: of, of our players' lives. Or getting an email, Hannah, you know, 10 years later, coach, I just got my first job or I just got married and... I'll never forget the things that you taught me and Sarah. And those have been building blocks of decisions that I've made in my life. And here I am, you know, I'm working for Google now or whatever. Those are really, really fun emails to get.
2: Okay, I need to go text one of my old favorite coaches now. That's it for this episode. Thank you to Coach Walsh and Coach Stevens for coming onto the podcast. And thank you for listening. Hope you're staying safe and sane, somewhat And hope to see you next time.